God, we love you. And we want to love you more. And we ask that you would give us the power to do that because we don't have it in and of ourselves. We now turn to your word, God, looking to hear from you. And so I pray that you would speak. We believe that, that your word, the Bible, is living and active and that it is the source of our life. And so I pray, God, that as we study it together, that we would have an encounter with you. I pray that you would open our eyes to see you, open our ears to hear you speak, open our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us. I pray that the truth of your gospel, the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand would sink deep into our hearts and minds. I pray that we would not leave this place unchanged. I pray that you would meet with us now, God. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning again, so good to be with you all. Uh, thanks for being here. Thank you to those of you who are um, watching online and I uh, wanna give a special shout out this morning. I got my folks in the house. If, if, if at any point in the last two and a half or three years since I've been here, you have thought, why are you the way that you are? Today is your opportunity to go straight to the source and find out. Uh, our, text, our teaching text this morning comes from Mark. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we are finishing chapter 1. So Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35. Mark 1, 35. If you're pulling out a Bible, I'll give you a minute to get there. Otherwise, uh, we will have it up on the screen. Mark 1, 35 says this. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We hate when things get canceled. We hate when things get canceled. We hate it when our favorite TV show gets canceled. Back in 2006, America lost its collective mind. Well, a very quirky segment of America lost its collective mind when Fox announced that they were canceling Arrested Development. The following year, 2007, CBS announced they were gonna cancel a show called Jericho. I've never seen it. It was only on for one season, but its fans were so incensed, they sent 40,000 pounds of peanuts to the CBS offices, had some reference to the final scene of that first season, and it worked. The producers for that show signed them on for another season. They got it uncanceled because they were so upset that it had been canceled. Flights. 
We hate it when flights get canceled. Is there anything worse? Yes, there are a lot of things worse than a flight canceled. In the, in the category of first world problems, is there anything worse than when flights get canceled? There's not very much. It's awful. How about when an order gets canceled? Dear Gary, we're sorry to inform you that the item that you purchased is no longer available. Well, then why did you have it on your website? We hate it when things get canceled. But we do kind of like some cancellations, don't we? Dentist appointment. That's a good cancel. If you're a dentist in here, we love you. And you provide an incredibly necessary service. If you're watching online, we praise God for you. Uh, if, you have ever, if you ever were to have the opportunity to have your student loan canceled, that's a really good cancellation. And though we may not um, like walk around admitting this or it, uh, announcing this, kind of like it when people get canceled. Don't we? We kind of like it when people get canceled. We hear a lot these days about something called cancel culture. Do we not? Cancel culture is something that we've seen rise a lot in the last few years. I think it's primarily social media, but we see it kind of all over in the culture. And cancel culture is what the Amish community has been doing for generations. It's our version of shunning, right? When somebody says, when somebody or an organization or a company says or does something that we deem unacceptable, we have now started to cancel them. We silence them. We take them from the inside and we put them inside. We, we do everything we can. Opportunities. I'm going to grab a mic. We do e hello, hello, hello. We do everything we can to take away their opportunities, to take away their voice if they're a celebrity, and that's what happens to a lot of We do everything we can to take away their celebrity. If they're a company, we don't buy their products. If they're a celebrity, we don't buy the products they endorse. And we kind of like it because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Look, I, got, I know I got my stuff, but I would never do something like that. I know I, I know I got my stuff, but they got what they deserved. In the last few years, we've seen a lot of it. J.K. Rowling, Ellen DeGeneres, to name a few, people who have been canceled. We kind of like when people get canceled. What are we to make of it? What are we to make of this, this cancel culture? What, what, what do we think it says about the, the culture that we live in? Well, I am no sociologist. Please hear me when I say that. I said this a few weeks ago. We can just repeat this as many times as necessary. Just about everything I talk about, I am not an expert in. But here's my take on cancel culture. Our culture here in America, and, and this is true of a lot of Western cultures, we, our operating system for our culture is primarily a guilt and redemption operating system. But for a lot of other cultures, that is not their primary operating system. For a lot of the cultures in a church as diverse as ALCF that you all would call your home culture, it is not so much about guilt and redemption, it's about shame and honor. And see the difference. Guilt is I've done something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. Or there's something wrong with me. And what I believe we are seeing in cancel culture here in our country is a convergence of the two. We are seeing kind of the traditional Western view of guilt where you have done something wrong but we're seeing an importation of a shame and honor culture on top of that such that when you do something wrong, what that means is there is something wrong with you and so we have to remove you. We have to take you out. We have to separate you. We have to cancel you. See the hypocrisy inherent in cancel culture here in our country. 
here in our culture. Why? Because we live in a culture that preaches all day, every day to anyone that will listen, you do you. You be you. You live your truth. You decide what's right for you. You manifest your own destiny. You create your own path. No one can impose their moral framework on someone else. And yet, the whole message of cancel culture is, when you do something wrong, we're going to impose our moral framework on you. You be exactly who you want to be. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise until you do something we don't like. And then you can't be like that, and we're going to impose our moral framework on you. Now, I hope this starts to hit a little bit close to home. Because most of us can deal with the guilt side, right? Most of us can deal with, I've done something wrong. That starts when we are very young and continues all the way until the end of our life. What is much harder is for us to deal with, I am something wrong. Or there is something wrong with me. Why the difference? Because one keeps it outside of me, the other puts it inside of me. I'm wrong, there's something wrong with me, speaks to our identity. It gets at our identity. And spoiler alert, that's where we're headed in this message, there's something wrong with all of us. We're continuing our series today called Let's Go in the Gospel of Mark. As we think about getting back to basics this year, uh, the Gospel of Mark is the shortest, simplest, easiest to understand gospel, and it is all about action. We believe that the Gospel of Mark is the story of Jesus' life as told through the eyes of Peter, his disciple who is most about that action. And so what we get in the Gospel of Mark is an emphasis on doing. And my hope, our hope and prayer is as we come out of the COVID hibernation that we have all been in for the last 15 months, this will be an encouragement or, a, or a, a gentle kick in the backside to remind us that following Jesus Christ is about more than what's in our head and in our hearts. It is totally about those things, but it is also about what we do with our hands. Following Jesus involves more than just belief and, and heart transformation. It radically transforms what we do and how we act. And just for a bit of context, a few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' initial statement in the Gospel of Mark in verse 15. He says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. And in doing so, he declared that the rightful king had returned, that he was declaring war on the kingdom of this world, and he said it was go time. He was saying, it's, it's time for the action, let's go. He called his first disciples. He started to build his team. And the first thing we saw last week that he did as he imposed the kingdom of God on the kingdom of this world is that it was a spiritual confrontation. He drove a demon out of a man who was possessed. Then he goes to Peter's house, heals his mother-in-law from fever. Everyone in the town is coming and bringing them their sick and the people who need to be healed to Jesus that night. And that brings us to our text for today. Verse 35, here's what it says. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now listen, this is not in the mainstream of what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the sermon, but I just, this is a freebie, and I just want to hang out in this verse for 60 seconds. Uh, hopefully you all have heard me say a bunch of times over the last year, I believe that prayer is the most important thing we can do as a follower of Jesus Christ. And the reason I say things like that is because of verses like this. Here is Jesus. Things are blowing up in a good way. People are figuring out that he's got power and they want to be around him and they want to hear what he can say and, and feel what he can do. And the most important thing he can do the next morning is get up before everybody else, go out to a quiet place and spend time with God in prayer. That should say something to us. 
I keep a prayer journal or a quiet time journal or whatever you want to call it. And I do a, a decent job of doing one journal a year. So every January 1st, I rip the cellophane off of a new Moleskine journal. And the very first thing I do is I open to the inside cover and I write out Mark 135 in the inside cover of my journal. Because if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sovereign of creation, needed to get up before everybody else to spend time with God the Father, how much more do I need to? I cannot afford not to get my lazy backside out of bed before the rest of my house is up and spend some quiet moments in prayer with God the Father. Prayer matters and is the most important thing we can do. And if, if you do not have a regular rhythm of that, I cannot encourage you more. It will transform your life. All right? Prayer matters. That's not the sermon. Now let's get into the sermon. I want us to see three things in this passage. And the first one that we're going to see is this. I've already, I've already told us what it is. Uh, first thing we're going to see is that there is something wrong with all of us. There is something wrong with all of us. Uh, so Peter and the disciples find Jesus. He's praying. And they're like, hey, everybody wants to see you. Everyone's looking for you. And Jesus is like, well, they're going to be disappointed because we're not going back to town. I got to continue my mission. We're going on to the next towns so I can preach. It's why I came out. And they start traveling through Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, and he's casting out demons. And along the way, verse 40, a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now let's hang out here for a minute with this idea of leper. We don't know exactly what disease this guy had. The Old Testament Hebrew word and the New Testament Greek word for leprosy encompassed a lot of different and various degenerative skin diseases. We don't know exactly what disease he had, but we know it was physically destructive and we know that it was socially destructive. I want you to see, look at two verses with me from Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. These are the law, this is the law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. He calls the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, makes a covenant with them as his people. He gives them rules for living. And this is what he says about leprosy. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. It says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. This is the Old Testament version of flattening the curve. This is the Old Testament version of masks and social distancing. The diseases that were encompassed by leprosy were so contagious and so destructive, God gave them rules to make sure that it would not spread throughout the camp of his people. So if someone came down with a disease called leprosy, like leprosy, they had to be physically removed from the congregation. This was still in effect at Jesus' time when he meets this leper as he's traveling around through Galilee. And so while we don't know exactly what the disease is, here's what we know. This guy has lost everything. He has been removed from his worship center. He's been removed from his family, from his friends, from his job. He cannot enter the city freely. He is forced to let his hair grow long, which I know it's cool today, but it wasn't, maybe it wasn't back then. He is forced to, to wear clothes that are torn. Again, I know that's cool today, but it wasn't back then. He can't go near people. He has to yell unclean, unclean anytime he comes near anybody. He is suffering greatly physically but he is also suffering greatly socially. It is why, he asked the Jesus, is why he asked Jesus the question that he asked. Do you notice this? He doesn't say, Jesus, if you will, you can heal me. He says what? You can make me clean. 
It's because in God's system of clean and unclean, someone with leprosy was both, was both physically unclean and ceremonially unclean. And so they were removed from God's congregation, from his people. It was devastating socially. One scholar says it this way, J.R. Edwards. He says, lepers were victims of far more than the disease itself. The disease robbed them of their health, and the sentence imposed on them as a consequence robbed them of their name, occupation, habits, family, and fellowship, and worshiping community. Get this. Leprosy was not something that this guy had done. It was who he was. It had become a part of his identity. You could not separate him from his disease. And because of that, he was canceled. He was taken out. There was something wrong with him. And so he had to be removed. For the last uh, 15 months or so, I have done a lot of my work at a desk that's in our bedroom at home. It sits in front of a window. It looks out on our neighbor's backyard and on our neighbor's garage. We have a big avocado tree between us and our neighbor. The squirrels get them all, which is a great source of frustration. One night last summer, uh, we had a particularly windy night, and a big branch from that avocado tree fell down on the roof of my neighbor's garage. I've been looking at that branch for a year. And for the first few days, it looked like a normal branch. It was green and lush, and there were leaves, and the bark looked like the right color. But you all know what has happened to that branch in the last year. It has, it has just degenerated over time, as it has been separated from the tree, as it has been canceled out of the tree, it has become devastated. It is, it is today, it is completely unrecognizable as a branch. It is just a dark, shriveled, brown, moldy, dry mess that eventually is going to fall off the roof because it gets so shriveled and small and, and weak. The branch was canceled out of the tree and it has devastated it. And this is the part of the sermon that's going to feel a little bit offensive, especially if you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus. This is what our culture hates about the message of Christianity. And that is, that branch is like the leper and it's like us. There is something wrong with all of us. And that something is called sin. It is not something that we do outside of us. Well, it is. But sin, before we come to Jesus, is our identity. It is who we are. Sin is the original cancel culture. And because of it, we have been separated from God. We have been cut off from the tree, and it is devastating. Just like this guy who was suffering with, le with leprosy had to be removed. Those of us who have sin, and it's all of us, have had to be removed from the relationship with God that he intended for us to have. I want to give you, let you in on just a little bit of a secret. Leprosy in the Bible is one of the clearest and strongest analogies God gives us for sin. So when you read about leprosy in the Bible, when you are working through Leviticus, as I know you just do regularly, time and time again, and you get to the part about leprosy, it's really about leprosy. It's really about a skin disease, but you got to know in your head, it's also about sin. And when you get to the New Testament and, and, and there's stories about people who have leprosy, they really were lepers. They really had leprosy, but it also is about people who have sin. And the Bible is clear that we all are suffering from the problem of sin. I don't think I have a slide for this. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many? All. 
Psalm 14, 3, they have all turned aside. How many? All. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Is there one? Not even one. Psalm 51, 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. We all have a problem. We all have a problem and that problem is sin and it is devastating socially and physically. And it is our identity until, until we meet Jesus. Just like the guy in this story, leprosy was his identity until what? Until he met Jesus. And the good news for you and for me is that the same is true for us. Sin is our identity. We are born into it until we meet Jesus. So the second thing I want us to see in this passage, Jesus' touch changes our identity. The touch of Jesus changes our identity. Let's keep moving. Verses 41 and 42. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Other translations say moved with compassion. Jesus is so compassionate towards this guy. Now listen, he was taking an enormous risk, not Jesus, the man with leprosy, by doing what he did. He was breaking this, the, the Mosaic law by approaching Jesus and coming close to him and asking for his healing, asking for him to make him clean. was a huge risk. He wasn't allowed to do that. It shows how desperate that he was. And do not miss what happens next. Moved by pity, Jesus does what? He touches him. He touches him. He touches the untouchable. This guy who has been canceled out of everything he knew, who has almost certainly not felt human touch since he, was, since he contracted whatever disease he is carrying, he feels the touch of Jesus on his body. Jesus himself would have become ceremonially unclean by touching this man who had leprosy. Not to mention the fact that he was risking actually contracting whatever disease this guy was carrying. But here's the thing about Jesus. He wrote the law, so he's probably like, I'm good. I wrote, I wrote the law. I'm not, I'm not too stressed about breaking it. He touches this guy, and then what are we told? Immediately. There it is again. Remember last week? 40 times in the Gospel of Mark. Immediately. Let's go. He is made clean. He's made what? Clean. Is he physically healed? Yes. But he's made clean. That's not an accident that it's worded that way. He is made ceremonially clean. In his touch, Jesus has transformed this man's identity. He has taken him from someone who is sinful, someone who is unclean, to somebody who is clean. Jesus' touch transforms our identity. Think about, um, think about it, some of the infomercials you might have watched in the past years. I'm not thinking of one specifically, but just generally an infomercial for a cleaning product because they are generally very similar. In all of them, or virtually all of them, you are going to get some picture of a pan or pot that is just foul. Nasty, lasagna, cooked in there, uh, pine tar, motor oil, whatever it is, just black and almost unrecognizable as a cooking utensil. And then a white line moves across the screen. And that white line is to magically represent whatever cleaning product they're hawking that day. And as it moves across, that foul, nasty, grimy pot that is uncleanable is magically transformed. And it looks new again. 
And there might even be some computer-generated sparkles on the pot as the white line moves across the screen. You know what I'm talking about? That's what happened to this guy. It's super corny when you see it on a Sunday afternoon on something called paid programming. It is a miracle of godly proportions when it happens to a human being. Immediately, he went from scratchy, red, rashy, open sore diseases to healthy, un, 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 no sickness flesh. Immediately. Because the touch of Jesus changes our identity. And what was true for that leper 2,000 years ago is true for you and I today. Though we are born into sin, though, though, we are as, though our sins are as black as can be, and we are born into that, there is one who can change it. There is one who can transform it. There is one who can transform our identity, and it is Jesus Christ. We are desperate for his touch. We are desperate for his touch because it is the only thing that can take us from death to life. Rabbis in Jesus' time used to call people with leprosy the walking dead because they were as good as dead in their opinion. Jesus in this moment literally took this man from death to life. He took him from unclean to clean. He took him from outcast to insider. He took him from canceled to uncanceled, and he will do the same for you and I. Jesus uncancels what sin has canceled. So the last, the last question we just want to answer is how. How does that happen? And the third thing I want us to see in this is that Jesus trades places with us. Jesus transforms our identity because he trades places with us. So he heals this guy. He tells him, go see the priest. Get, get confirmation that you've been cleansed, which would be the last thing he would need to re-enter society, to come back into the city. And look at what verse 45 tells us. It says, but he went out and began to talk freely about it. This is the leper. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Don't miss this. When this, when this passage began, who was out in the desolate place, unable to freely enter the city? The leper. And what was Jesus doing? He was entering towns and villages, preaching the good news that the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he touches this man, and in doing so, he cleanses him, and he trades places with him, and now what? Jesus is out in the desolate places, unable to freely enter a town. And this leper... Who, is, who, who this morning couldn't go into the city, he is the one who is now preaching in the cities. Remember, Jesus said, I got to go preach in the cities. Now the leper is the one spreading the message, the good news of the kingdom of God. He has been welcomed back inside, and Jesus has taken his place outside. And do not miss it. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is that he takes our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, for our sake, he made him sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We were cut off. We were canceled. We were canceled by sin. And Jesus takes our sin upon himself and he gives us in his place his righteousness. And can we please recognize that this little cancellation that Jesus felt when he traded places with this leper was simply a foretaste of the ultimate cancellation that he would feel just a few years later. 
Because just a few years later, Jesus would again be sent outside of the city. But this time he would go outside with a beam across his back. And as he was nailed to that beam and raised up above the earth for everyone to mock, Jesus in that moment took our place on the cross. That was the punishment for the sin that we are born into. But on the cross, he took our sin onto himself and gave us his righteousness in in his place. And on the cross, as he took our sin onto him, what happened? He was canceled from God the Father. He was separated and cut off from God the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took the ultimate cancellation that was meant for us because of our sin, and in doing so, made us sons and daughters of God. When we are touched by Jesus, God sees us in the same way that he sees him. He takes us from death to life. He takes us from unclean to clean. He takes us from outside to inside. He takes us from canceled to uncanceled. May we praise him for it. So if you're here today, if you're here today and you feel like you have been canceled, if you feel like you have been put on the outside, if you feel like the the cooking pot of your life is such a mess that it would take years, no matter how much you scrubbed, it will not come clean. If the longing of your heart is for a white bar, to move across your life and the end to be a sparkling clean picture with no dirt or grime, it is not too good to be true. It is the offer of Jesus Christ to all who would believe. All that he asks, all that he requires is that you do exactly what the guy in this story did. Get to Jesus by whatever means possible and say to him, if you will, you can make me clean and he'll do it. I promise he will do it. If you will, you can make me clean. Jesus uncancels what sin has canceled. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the promises in there. We thank you for the, for the hope that is found in your word, that though our skins are red as scarlet, you wash them white as snow. There's nothing that we can do We simply need you to touch us. And so we ask that you would do that today. If there is someone here, if there is someone watching online who does not know what it means, who who has not made the decision to come to you and say, God, I need you to make me clean. I pray that your spirit would move in their life and their heart such to, to prompt them to do that in this moment. You are the source of life. You are our only hope. So let's go. We love you. Help us to love you more. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus with your life, uh, we would love to talk to you about that. Please find me or any one of the elders here after the service outside, or you can reach out to us at info at alcf.net. If you need prayer for something, it is our joy and privilege to pray for you. You can reach out to us at prayer at alcf.net. Please stand for the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. You are loved and you are prayed for. 
and you are sent. And just please uh, exit all the way outside as quickly as possible. Thank you.